Um, thank you all for coming. It is a busy time in London. We've been joking about uh, London for the last five years, that London is the new Shimla. And it is proving to be more of a Shimla in recent years since Cameron said we're in a special relationship. We're also in the middle of exams at the LSE. We've tried to get a lot of students, but obviously their exams have their priority. But the important thing is we have an interesting group here, and we look forward to an interesting discussion. So thank you to CII for co-hosting this event. And um, this actually, uh, we worked on this uh, book on prevailing philanthropy in India um, with UBS, and, um, and I have been partnering in this for the last one year or so. And the whole um, interest in this came about when, um, for me personally, when I was hearing sort of mixed messages about the lack of philanthropy in India, which seemed contradictory to the convictions that I have and what I have seen and grown up with in India for uh, for a long time. Um, there is history, there's Chandragupta Maurya, there's Ashoka, there is uh, Lothal, which are all examples of where there was no uh, social uh, security systems which may required culturally, historically, for people to introduce these things to help and enable the community. Um, and, uh, and there was a culture which has been practiced by corporations, example Tata Villa, and many new corporations which are being set up. So for me, I was picked enough to think that this cannot be and this has to be corrected. That was my motivation. At the same time, UBS, which Mathieu will speak about a little later, was also working on similar ideas. Circumstances brought us together in common interests. And it's been a great partnership in, uh, with, where, uh, with the partnership it has been possible for us to bring this out in one year. Otherwise, it might have taken longer, perhaps. And today, we're delighted to have Sierra is a partner for LSE uh, for many years. Um, the previous director of LSE, Howard Davis, um, was director general of uh, CBI when CII was setting an office in London and had helped CII get space in um, Centpoint. And when LSE thought about um, strengthening its institutional uh, partnership in India was when um, LSE signed an MOU with CII. And when I was spending time in India, I had office space at the Habitat Center of the CII office. So for us, we are friends, and so we gathered together here as a group of friends to discuss the issue of co responsible corporations and creating wealth for public good. So we have with us a, a very eminent group of uh, participants. Mr. Gopal Krishnan is the currently the president of the Confederation of Indian Industry, but he was one of the members involved in setting up the institution um, with, I believe, I used to think it was $500, but I just read this morning it was $250, and he will talk more about it. And um, I think we'll start with Mr. Gopal Krishnan. Thank you and uh, good morning to every one of you. Um, you know, from our perspective, from uh, Infosys perspective, um, there are three aspects which I would like to uh, talk about. One is the um, role of um, the corporation, the ro role of the leadership in the corporation to uh, participate in 
not just uh, the business, um, building the business, but building society, um, creating a sustainable organization, creating the right environment for businesses to exist. Um, so in this regard, you know, running the business um, legally, ethically, paying your taxes, participating in industry bodies, participating in um, uh, policy making, in the right policy making, etc. Um, looking at um, uh, the responsibility of the corporation to um, look at all aspects of the business, for example, you know, looking at environmental impact, look, looking at societal impact of the business, etc. So the larger purpose of the business. Uh, the second aspect of um, um, you know, running the corporation is uh, the ability of the corporation to uh, give back to the society that you don't normally touch. So through Infosys Foundation, uh, for to which we give one up to one percent of our um, profits, um, we are touching the poorest to the poor. We are looking at uh, causes that uh, are important to. Um, uh, the the larger society in which we operate. So, for example, you know the, the recent project that we did was um, building uh, ten thousand toilets in rural India at you know root homes and individual homes, etc. That's a very big problem in India, and so uh, we undertook that we will build ten thousand toilets in one year. Before that, we had built two thousand two hundred homes for people who got displaced with floods and things like that. So we pick up these causes and through the foundation we uh, implement these projects. The third aspect is um, uh, as individuals, as individual <coughs> leaders, as individual employees, how do we uh, promote um, you know, uh, philanthropy? How do we give back what, uh, what we have learned and bring that to social causes and things like that. Uh, supporting social entrepreneurship, um, creating causes into which our employees can support and contribute. Uh, looking at, um, again, large causes. So for example, uh, you know, right now about um, 40 of our employees are uh, uh, working with various causes around the country. So they get up to two years of uh, sabbatical from the company. The company pays 50% of their compensation during that period and supports them. And after two years, they'll come <coughs> back and rejoin the company. Um, but this is a, a very large program um, where employees take up causes and um, they run it themselves. Sometimes the corporation supports them. But we would like every employee to volunteer at that time for social causes and things like that, and create a movement around that. And as individuals, also, you know, we have our own um, personal um, trusts or foundations through which we contribute. Now, coming back to uh, the individual leadership, um, at the, at the leadership the corporation provides, uh, we also then work through um, industry bodies like CII. Uh, to look at again the larger purpose creation of platforms where um, many other organizations can participate. Um, the, the 
the opportunity in India, the challenge and opportunity in India is that um, there are many, many causes that individuals and individual corporations support. But how do we connect these together and scale these up? Um, so when I talked about um, you know the toilets itself, you know, uh, it's estimated that um, I think 30, 40 percent of the households in India do not have um, toilets. Right, pretty significant problem. Now we built 10,000. That's a, you know probably a drop in the ocean actually. So how do we now create a mass movement around this? That will have to be through connecting with other. Uh, organizations who support this cause and then creating a platform where they all they all can come together um, so you know through confederation of Indian industry etc we are looking at how we can build this platform where our members and other uh, corporations can come together and contribute back um, to to these sources and things like that so I will um, stop here, and then as discussion goes on, we will, you know, we will have further, um, you know, further uh, uh, discussion on these topics. Thank we you. decided to call this a roundtable because we we want to make it a um, discussion-oriented thing. So that's a very interesting start. I'd also like to, well, first I'll have our panelists to uh, spend a few minutes on these questions, and then open it up to everybody else to participate. While we're talking, can we also look at, um, when we're talking about responsible corporations, I thought it'd be nice for us to focus also on the operations of responsible co responsibility in corporations. Would you like to say? Yeah, so um, there's a big role uh, for any corporation to look at how do you integrate, um, you know, the the corporate social responsibility into mainstream business and wherever that opportunity exists you must um, indeed do that. Um, so one example you know I'll, I'll present here is in this whole area of um, uh, sustainability from an environment perspective. Uh, I strongly believe that uh, every business, every corporation can look at um, environment and save money as well as do good. Um, so, you know, if I look at um, what we have been able to do in the in the environmental side, uh, it is significant. Um, from a numbers perspective, uh, on uh, electricity itself, we have saved seven million dollars in the last twelve months by reducing our electricity consumption. Now, in doing that, uh, we have also um, learned a lot. Uh, we, have a, we, have, we have actually built solutions now that we can take to market. So we have a business unit, sustainability business unit, which is taking some of these solutions to the market. Uh, we are working with partners. We believe that those partnerships will indeed take these to their um, customers so that uh, you know, this um, will spread um, you know, in a, in a, in a significant way uh, through these partnerships. Uh, so let me give you some examples. Um, you know, how did we save uh, on electricity significantly? Um, by looking at, um, you know, we have large um, campuses around the country. We have uh, 155,000 employees, so large number of offices, etc. So 
we are a large uh, user of electricity, water, etc. Uh, so, in the in the case of electricity, we have looked at um, uh, floor level and um, block level management of our facilities. So, we had to create uh, the infrastructure and the software and the systems in order to do that. And that's a capability now that exists within the company. And we have also partnered with other organizations. Once we have that, then we said, um, when there is no employee within the building, uh, let's say it's a Sunday afternoon, what is the power consumption? And then that's the benchmark. And how can we now look at, how can, how can you look at um, uh, getting the best numbers on an ongoing basis. So we have measured uh, every single minute of the power consumption and we have this data um, you know, for many, many months now and it's wonderful data which other research organizations are going to use and we are sharing that data with others. Uh, we have two buildings um, in Hyderabad, one using conventional cooling, the other one um, using some new uh, techniques uh, we've um, um, we've incorporated now um, using some of the technologies that existed in India before in, in terms of construction, etc., uh, ambient cooling. And, uh, and the second building uses 50% power, less power, uh, 1,100 people capacity in each building. And this is an experiment that we did, and now we are now replicating that um, across our offices. And every one of the buildings is platinum uh, certified, you know, LEED platinum certified. Uh, we've also um, looked at um, working with air conditioning manufacturers, we're looking, working with um, people to uh, look at waste disposal. Uh, we want every one of our campuses to be 100% um, um, self-contained um, in terms of water, so no water discharge from the campus and we will also not draw water from outside. We are you know, in some campuses, 40-50% self-suction in water through rainwater harvesting and things like that. And so uh, this is an example of something that we did. We have savings, and now we are taking it to our clients to uh, help them. And we also have created software solutions, etc., to record, monitor, report uh, all the results that we have achieved. And... Uh, and we are sharing that data with research institutions, etc., around the world, not just in India, but around the world. We are also working with um, the Green um, Building Center with CII in India, uh, which is a center of excellence that exists. So this is an example of how um, you know, we, can, we can look at um, uh, doing good to society as well as making that into a business. And, and, and embedding this into the operations of the company. Uh, we will now move on to Mr. Forbes. Uh, Could I just ask if you're informed? It's kind of common this. I think we'll come to that a bit later because I'd like us <laughs> to speak. Yes, Mr. Forbes. Uh, firstly, thank you very much for inviting, um, inviting me to be on this panel. Um, I should give you a little background first that you know, um, our business, Forbes Marshall, is um, a medium-sized Indian family business, family uh, started by, um, by my father and uh, um, our grandfather, my, our mother's father. And 
this whole aspect of philanthropy, uh, the, the, the point I just wanted to make here is that it's not something which you need to be a very large company to 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 um, adopt uh, a philosophy of philanthropy. We have learned a great deal from um, some really good examples of philanthropic organizations in India. Uh, among them, Tata's and Infosys, both represented here on the spanner. Um, there are two ways one can approach this. One is through supporting a good cause through an NGO, uh, or as uh, Mr. Gopakrishnan mentioned, uh, through um, many of our CII, CSR initiatives which we have, where we create awareness for um, so, uh, CSR within our membership, and also we actually identify and support a number of NGOs um, and channel these and link these NGOs with, uh, with uh, our members. But the second is through direct involvement. We at Forbes Marshall have preferred the second, meaning to be directly involved with the community. And it goes back to the time when we first set up our business in, in the city of Pune, which is about 100 miles from Bombay. Uh, when we set up our factory, the place where we set it up, which is in the little village of Kasarwadi, which was a tiny village at that time of 5,000 people. Today it has about 700,000 people. Um, it's on the outskirts of Pune. And it was all farmland. And the land was actually acquired from the farmers to set up the, 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 the industry. So the first thing was actually providing employment for, for people because at that time the price of land was much lower than what it is today uh, and the amount that the farmers actually got was actually a relatively small amount. Um, so once they sold, they needed to have employment. So the first thing which was done was actually training people, getting them to be able to perform uh, in an industrial environment. And then the next thing was providing some kind of basic primary health care uh, for the community there because the closest hospital uh, was in Pune, which was about 15 kilometers uh, away, and there was no medical care, organized medical care available in the community at all. So that actually was the, the first um, sort of social initiative with the, with the community. And then also providing some kind of organized uh, um, enterprise for some of the women in the community. So this is all something which was started, you know, about 50 years ago. Today that's evolved considerably. I mean, the community is very, very different. Uh, it's a much more affluent community. But as many of you who have been to India and have seen India, you know, affluence does not necessarily mean that you have very good living conditions. And so consequently, uh, the focus of our efforts have now shifted from providing just the basic care to more of education. And when I say education, it's education in terms of, uh, in the traditional sense, but also education in the area of health, uh, 
And in this area, it primarily focused on essentially on clean water and providing uh, facilities for sanitation because that's one of the biggest problems. I think it was mentioned earlier that sanitation is actually one of our biggest problems in, in India today. And the number of people who have access to sanitation is abysmally low. Um, so, so these are the two areas that, you know, in terms of educating the community in this and also providing them with the technology to do it. So there are low-cost solutions available uh, for providing good sanitation facilities uh, which can be put in at relatively low cost and we have actually engaged with certain NGOs and actually done this in the community in which we operate. Uh, the second area which is of relevance today and which we are engaged with is essentially in the area of education but education leading to employability. Uh, there's a lot one can do in education, but if we don't provide that linkage to make people more employable and actually see that they are indeed employed later, just providing education without that creates frustration. Uh, so we've done a few things. Um, in terms of, it starts at the primary level where you work with existing municipal schools. Different people adopt different models. There are some who have, some companies have adopted models where they actually set up a sort of a, like a charter school where they actually run the school. We have chosen instead to be engaged with a multiple of schools, many schools in the, the local municipal uh, area. Uh, I think we work with about 100 schools in the Pimpri Chinchwad community, which is just this little town outside Pune, and essentially to work with improving the standards of education in those schools. And the way we do that is uh, in two ways. One is in terms of working with uh, the teachers to provide training to the teachers so that they can you know, provide a better standard, and then actually providing supplementary programs for the young children, these are children typically between the age of about 5 and 15, uh, where you supplement the education which they have in school essentially by doing two things. One is by providing them with maths, that means uh, mathematical uh, inputs, and second is English, English training uh, skills. So in, uh, there's an NGO we work with called Akanksha, maybe some of you are familiar with it. Uh, we run a few Akanksha centers ourselves uh, for the children in the community. And the other area is also in terms of to enhance reading skills and to provide a sort of create a love for reading. Uh, we have a library program and again this is done through an NGO which we support but again just in our community so we can actually see the results of, of, uh, of the efforts. Um, and then for older children, actually youth, this is now people who are much older, they're in their sort of late teens and early 20s, uh, we have worked with another organization called Labs, which is run by the Dr. Reddy's Foundation, where we actually initiated the, it's called Labs, it stands for Livelihood Advancement Business School, and it essentially provides training for um, for youth um, for either for you know getting them 
prepared for going into BPOs, going into retail, the various McDonald's and Pizza Huts and all, training them to, to, to um, you know, uh, be, be employed there. And it goes again, not just where you provide the training, but before you provide the training, you actually identify the businesses which have needs for people. So we work with those businesses and McDonald's will tell us, saying, listen, we need five people. Uh, a hospital needs three people for their reception. Uh, a hotel needs someone at the, you know, um, to handle baggage, you know. And so as a result, we identify the, the, the jobs which are available and then when the people are actually going through the program, they're actually slotted for those specific jobs. So that when they finish the program, they actually find employment. And this has actually worked quite successfully. This is actually, in, it's not something we've developed, it's been run by the Dr. Reddy's Foundation, and we have actually just adopted that, that model. And this has then been scaled up through CII, where we've been running it uh, all across the city of Pune, it's been adopted by the Young Indians part of CII now, and it's an ongoing activity. There are two other areas uh, in terms of the, um, there's a finishing school which we've done. This is part of CII's affirmative action for the scheduled car, scheduled tribe members, where we, among with a few companies in Pune, uh, we put a program together for providing soft skill training. You see, a lot of people go through the education system in India. They have the technical skills, but they don't have the personality training. They don't have the English-speaking skills. They don't know how to handle themselves when they go for an interview. So even though you may have reservations in the educational system uh, where they have the opportunity to graduate, when they actually have to go out into the world to seek employment, it's very difficult to have them, you know, selected. So this is a program which has actually been designed for that. So we've supported that and we've designed a separate program within Forbes Marshall itself where it's a three-month program where people who have been through the finishing school, they've got their technical uh, degrees, etc., but they still don't find jobs. And in our fields, in the two areas, mechanical engineering and instrumentation, we have set up a three-month training program. So we take some of these people who have not been able to find jobs. We've put them through a three-month program where they have classroom training and then we put them on the shop floor in different areas. And essentially it provides them with a practical uh, skill. And we have been able to absorb some of them ourselves when we've had need. And many of them have got jobs outside subsequently because uh, they've been now better skilled uh, and better positioned to, to, to find jobs. So that's essentially what, what uh, we've done. The methodology we follow is that we do not, it's very important for us to first establish the needs of what the community really requires in any of these social initiatives. It's very easy for us to go in and say, this is what we think you need, but actually it's much more important to go and see what they really need, find out what the needs are, and then provide a mechanism to deliver that. And it should not be something where we deliver it, but we should act as a catalyst so it can be self-sustaining. Otherwise, if you provide the, the, the program, 
if you stop the program, it ends. So you've got to find a way to just be a catalyst and allow it to sustain itself. Uh, third, just as was mentioned earlier, we strongly encourage our own members, our more our Fort Marshall members, to be involved in these initiatives. So anyone who wants to be involved, we encourage them to be to to do so. Uh, they can do it on sort of company time. It's not that you know it has to be done only outside their their uh, working hours. And we find there's a lot of enthusiasm for this. Uh, there's a lot of uh, a desire to get involved with some of these programs. And of course, lastly, uh, for any of this to happen, you need to have a good sound business first. So you need to be able to be profitable. You need to be able to you know afford to be able to do these things. Um, and I'd just like to end by uh, two quotes from Jamseji Tata, which we very firmly belong, uh, believe in, in, in our, uh, uh, amongst our membership in our organization. So the first quote is that he said, and he said this over 100 years ago, that in a free enterprise, the community is not just another stakeholder in business, but it is in fact the very purpose of its existence. And we firmly believe that that's, you know, what, what one should be as a business in India. And the second thing which he said, which is a little contradictory, but, but equally insightful, there is one kind of charity common enough among us. It is that patchwork philanthropy which clothes the ragged, feeds the poor, and heals the sick. I am far from decrying the noble spirit which seeks to help a poor or suffering fellow being. However, what advances a nation or community is not so much to prop up the weakest and most helpless members, but to lift up the best and the most gifted so as to make them of the greatest service to the country. Thanks. Thank you, Mr. Um, and actually, I, I was very fascinated to hear the whole range of skilling and education initiatives that um, Forbes Marshall is doing. Because um, while India has this greatest demographic dividend, unless it is nurtured and provided this whole range of things, it could become a nightmare. And in that sense, that's what you've shown, ex explained now, is a wonderful <coughs> example. And I hope that it's being replicated across the country. Um, and with the Tata Court, I would now um, move to Mr. Mukundan to talk about He's Managing Director of Tata Chemicals. And one of the things while we were doing the book is everybody admires and taught us is um, explained as a model for many people. So, Thank you, Ruth. I think it's uh, a pleasure to be here with all of you. Uh, I'll just share some three perspectives which uh, sort of broadly outlines uh, what we do. Uh, but uh, Farad has actually taken away all the... <coughs> by giving those two quotes. But, uh, you know, though you left a book in our room, which is uh, in the hands there, there. The last page of that book is a letter which has been written. It's, it's a deed of agreement between uh, Jay and Tata, our founder, and, uh, uh, and Mrs. Kama to undergo a midwifery course in, in UK. She was one of the best Indian doctors. And I think that sort of exemplifies the purpose that you need to train the best to be even better. And the outcome of that lady coming here has been that Bombay has got one of the finest hospitals called Albus Kama Hospital. Not only did she come back, but she also founded a hospital which still uh, treats many, many, many poor people. So it is not just working at the bottom of the pyramid, but at the top of the pyramid. But going uh, 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 beyond this, le let me just start with uh, the basic philosophy which is ingrained. I am 24 years in the group and uh, 
I've never worked anywhere other than Tata's, so I don't know the life outside Tata's. I feel like part of the uh, when we joined the group, one of the things which was ingrained in us was that what is of the utmost importance is to play by the rules. Uh, if the rules are hurting you, get the rules changed, which benefits the entire society. But you will have to play by the rules. You can't have shortcuts to making profits. I think that was wonderful, fundamental philosophy, and we call it ethical conduct. And of course, the current, uh, the just immediate past chairman, Mr. Ratan Tata, sort of codified that entire ethical conduct into what we call as uh, uh, a BBP, which is basically uh, ethical uh, business processes. So very clearly laid down principles. So we would uh, and uh, uh, his, uh, his uh, the chairman before him, in fact, had said that Tata's would be twice as big had we decided to do what everybody did, but then we would not do that ever, and we would play by the rules. And uh, he, he, all I can tell you, playing by the rules, we still have grown faster than anybody else. So if someone wanted to say it's tough, it's difficult, uh, it's doable. And I, I, I have a, also 20 years of experience dealing with government, dealing with external stakeholders to prove that everybody loves you if you play by the rules. In, in the end, they want to support companies. So I think one of the primary things which Indian business needs to do is not just give, but earn by the rules. I think that's the fundamental foundation. If everybody earned by the rules, we'll be a richer society, so that people are not nibbling away at the edges, not denying what is rightfully everybody else's. Uh, but I think a few of us, including CII, CII has got a, a committee on governance and code of ethics, which CII has framed. Our members voluntarily sign it. So it's something which we, have, which we uphold in CII that uh, this is not a message for few, but message for all, and we must embrace everybody to come in between. So to that extent, that's the first primary stuff. In fact, the current president uh, in his outline for the priorities put governance right at the top, and I think it's important that we take heed to that basic purpose that well-governed companies, and if you play by the rules, you actually generate a lot more wealth for the society, and society would be richer. The second is that uh, is something which Farad has already highlighted. Uh, we, uh, by our very corporate structure, we are bound to the community. So, 67% uh, of our share is held by trust. So, stocks are held by trust, and in effect, uh, all the profits which goes back to a holding company gets into those trusts. And by very nature, about uh, I think every year, uh, approximately. Uh, 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 70 to 80 million dollars sort of gets pumped into various activities which uh, these trusts support and there's a very wide swath of activities whether it be community health whether it be education whether it be employment i think we sort of focus on quite a few of these uh, specific areas and our approach in most of them is would, is that in most of the activities we we encourage uh, volunteering by employees because participation by employees leads them to actually see firsthand what is this money doing to people and what is all this effort doing to people, so we encourage that. And secondly, we work with the communities or work with any stakeholder. Before we get in, we actually define when we will get out because our first ob object is to sort of leave them in a better position to manage the process themselves rather than be there permanently. And once that is defined, then we go and help, and we found uh, this process sort of helps us to manage the... Uh, the last one, I would say... Um, our effort now is more and more going towards what we call promoting social enterprises. These are not just uh, uh, enterprises which uh, we fund initially empower, but also make them sustainable business models. I can give you examples what we've done. Uh, we now run a rural BPO, which is uh, basically training the rural kids to 
do the uh, business process outsourcing in villages because India now has got tremendous connectivity. In fact, the second order we got was from Infosys. You may not know it, but I just want to tell you. So, uh, and they, they do a pretty good job of various, uh, and it's a self-sustaining model. All the profits which that uh, BPO earns is flowed back into that. Uh, the second one we were done is uh, to work with the local craftsmen to sort of uh, make their uh, uh, design uh, more popular. We brand it. We sort of make that accessible to retail outlets. And this is a uh, foundation called Uday, which we've founded. So uh, these social enterprises have actually given us much greater insights on, in terms of uh, how uh, a sort of uh, a self-engaged community develops itself, and all input you need to give it, it give us from time to time access to uh, a, a greater depth of knowledge. So in this uh, uh, foundation, which is Okai Foundation, which we do garment design and uh, fabric manufacturing, cloth manufacturing. Uh, we have uh, students of National Institute of Design who go and work free. Uh, they would never do that. And uh, I've seen the uh, clothes designed by there would actually sit in any high street very well. So, But all the work gets done free. Uh, they love to do it because it, for them it's, it's a great uh, way of giving input to uh, rural folk who need it. And uh, our own employees, for example, the marketing of that product uh, is done through sabbatical of two or three of our marketing managers who go and work for the foundation and come back in. They find it very energizing to sort of devote their time and sort of building marketing plans for these. Uh, so uh, I think firstly, I would say three points. Uh, firstly, uh, the business must be run on the right ethical basis. Second is that I think you must structure the business process, whether it's, it be taking away 1% of your profit or whether putting like a trust so that it starts to impact on a regular basis. It is not a person dependent, but it is an institutionalized process. And thirdly, I think we need to sort of graduate to promoting social enterprises in the long run. I think it is uh, also a fact that uh, while we have cases where people have given a lot of money, uh, we need to give a lot more. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the problems which small and medium enterprises face is not that they don't have money, they don't have a route to put that money through. In fact, CIA has founded a CIA foundation, which is going to sort of channelize this uh, funds and the resources and pull it in the right direction. Hopefully, this is going to attract more and more people to give. It's not that they don't want to give, but they don't have a channel or, let's say, a process to give it. That's all. Those are three comments. Thank you. Thank you, Mukundan. That was very interesting. And I'm particularly um, glad you brought in the governance aspect. Because the nervousness in the West is about the last two, three years, what's going on in India makes the international organizations more and more nervous about working with institutions in India. And I was hoping that it would come out, the fact that there are examples of responsible operations and governance and how that can be more widespread. Is I'd, I'd like us to um, highlight some of those discussions too. So thank you. You brought in very important aspects about ethics and governance. Uh, um, I now move to Shankar, who's the youngest uh, member on this panel, and uh, perhaps you could talk a little bit about um, how you have ingrained some of the culture of the family and um, in your businesses. Thank you, Ruth, and uh, it's good to be here. And, and you know, today morning when I was uh, thinking about what I'm going to talk, and I was uh, trying to understand. Uh, one thing I realized was this is not something one has to think and prepare because this is something that you're part of and you live with. And, and as the other panelists uh, have spoken, there's a lot of uh, storytelling uh, which happens and, and to, to sort of take the value on. 
I'm just going to take a minute to uh, talk about the background. Uh, come from a family business, fourth generation. The businesses are about uh, almost 100 years old now. It started with uh, my great-grandfather starting a bullock cart transporting service for goods to the British tea estates. Uh, he was a simple farmer before that and, and went into logistics, manufacturing and other things. Today, a very diversified group of businesses um, pioneered by my grandfather and, and uh, he was a person who was influenced a lot by uh, Gandhi and, and to him he always says the greatest asset that his father gave him was uh, teachings of Gandhi. And, and when I was coming here, uh, he was in uh, uh, Madras and, and I chatted with him and showed him this program. And he, he, he just told me that uh, this is not strange to India. Uh, this is not new. This is, this is what we are and this is what we do. But more so, he said the modern definition of what he believes and he wanted to follow was uh, trusteeship. Business is uh, uh, enterprises held in trusteeship on behalf of society. So your net result uh, has to be uh, for a larger spectrum of people. And he also uh, told me something else that uh, I have run in one belief uh, all my businesses so far for the last uh, 60 years. Um, I don't put many of these things after PNL. For me, in the books, this, these things come before PNL because profits come, profits go, but on a long horizon, these things are more important. As a young person, uh, Ruth, you know, when, when you asked me uh, uh, earlier also, I think what, what has happened is uh, aspiration. Uh, today all over the world and young people is enormous but one thing in family that we were ingrained to think about <coughs> aspiration not for self because constantly there were other people uh, there was a larger society there, was, um, there were cousins there were uh, uh, lots of people in this aspiration story so the aspiration had to take care of a larger group of people it could not be individual it could not be a few people and, and I come from a region in South India uh, where Predominantly, people were into agriculture, and when business and industrialization uh, was happening, there was a constant um, support mechanism which was developing. When somebody came to a city, started something, helped the other two people from the village to come along. We we also started uh, education institutions wherever our businesses were, and today we have about twenty four thousand students studying at at any point of time, and about fifty thousand alumni who have passed out. We have third generation people coming in, many of them entrepreneurs, professionals, and, and what has happened in a large uh, <coughs> effect on the uh, larger society is people have become networked, people have started supporting each other, and, and we have uh, sort of played a, a sort of a fabric knitting role to bring many of these things into uh, that, uh, that uh, aspect. Uh, others spoke about... Uh, how the organization uh, in the governance sense or in the values or in the process has, has uh, involved some of these values. One thing I've understood is we function under three things. Uh, we, we want to be considerate, we want to be concerned, and there is a sense of uh, a nationalistic pride in what we do. And today that becomes more global with, with businesses uh, reaching out far and wide. But I think all it all goes into two things. One is who we are as, as people and what we believe in as a culture uh, uh, which is ingrained. Second is, is for my family specifically, I think there was a lot of aspiration uh, which was being built in uh, during the 
30s and 40s, which is also the nationalism came with the freedom struggle and, and uh, those aspects. But in my generation, it becomes a little complex and challenging because uh, a lot of these values and a lot of these processes sometimes uh, look archaic or not relevant today. The, the challenge is to institutionalize them. The challenge is to carry on the storytelling aspect to build in it. Uh, because some of these things cannot be fully institutionalized. Some of it cannot be, my belief is, cannot be uh, put into a process completely. Because it's, it's people-driven, it's belief-driven, and, and uh, uh, we'll constantly have to sort of... Uh, educate and, and give the values uh, to the people. And it also becomes difficult when geographies, when you're expanding businesses to other places, um, you'll, you'll have to find modern ways of uh, ensuring that everybody believes in the same story. There, the, I think philanthropy, the word CSR, uh, charity, uh, comes from different meanings. Uh, some comes from the responsibility of wanting to give. Some comes from the uh, fact that a business wants to be considerate. But I think largely what it should be is to understand that you're part of a larger ecosystem and, and unless the larger ecosystem sees progression. Because in India, wealth originally meant a larger meaning of prosperity. Uh, it did not mean just the net result of what happened with uh, uh, money. So the prosperity angle has to be felt by a larger um, Society is what we have been told, and and uh, we try to function under those uh, tenets of values. But uh, otherwise, I, as I said, uh, being considered concerned and uh, aspirational for a larger setting is what we want to be. Thank you, Shankar, and that's um, <coughs> very valuable because even yesterday there were questions about we we tried to include the gener younger generation's thinking and commitment to these issues and trusteeship. <coughs> it's very encouraging to see that it's coming through to your generation and I hope you will continue to pass it on to the succeeding generations. I'm going to ask Henry to say something about UBS and family business in, with respect to cor responsible corporations. Thank you very much, Ruth. Um, we are actually active in uh, philanthropy advisory since about uh, 10 years, and uh, it came out of, of needs of our clients. Could you introduce yourself, sir? Uh, I'm Henry Herzl. I'm running the uh, philanthropy and family advisory unit that is in UBS. Uh, we are a group of around 30 people uh, focusing on families, family businesses, and philanthropy. Uh, and uh, as I said, we started 10 years ago. Uh, this, uh, this one person have now grown to a unit of uh, 30 people around the globe uh, and working uh, with families in um, setting up their philanthropy in a sustainable fashion. I mean, there is a lot of willingness uh, to give back to society and uh, we see it actually uh, across the globe. Um, but uh, people may have passions but they don't know how to do it uh, and uh, this is where we come in. But we also work with these families who obviously, I mean, they grow. And uh, if I hear you are in the fourth generation, I'm sure there are more people at the family table than you are. Uh, so I think uh, one of the challenges of families are to find roles uh, within the company or philanthropy for the various family members. I mean, you just need one CEO or a couple of CEOs if you have a bigger family group. 
Um, so very often also for some of our clients next generation, activities in the philanthropy area is uh, tempting and, uh, and uh, so, so they go into this area. So for us actually it's, it's part of our business. Um, we actually do it because we help clients do better in society which at the very end has a positive impact on uh, our business. Thank you, Andrew. I'm now going to ask um, my co-editor, Mathieu, to say something, some things from the book. Yeah, thank you, Ruth. Um, I'll be brief to, uh, so we can concentrate on the debate. I worked with my colleague Dweep, who's sitting at the back here, um, also from UBS. Um, we were part of a team of three working on this book. Um, and I'll sort of just give you sort of key messages that have come up from this book, from my own perspective. Um, I, I, before joining UBS, I came from the philanthropy sector and uh, had a very strong idea of what philanthropy was. Um, and it was mostly built on the Western narrative of philanthropy, a very prominent one, you know, which are the fathers of modern philanthropy, the great industrialists from the UK, from the US, like Carnegie, Roth, Rockefeller, or Bosch in Germany. Um, and that today... Um, Innovative philanthropy, innovative foundations, again, we're, we're finding them in the US, in the UK, um, possibly in Germany, um, in the Netherlands. And I think for me, working on this book sort of, to a certain extent, turned my world upside down, because I discovered what was taking place in India. And just to give an example, uh, we're in the UK, Joseph Rowntree, a uh, famous industrialist, who makes sweets, um, and famous, you know, well-regarded philanthropist in the UK. And in the 1910s, um, he built a model village near one of his factories. Uh, it's called New, Ers New Earswick. And his main concern was the welfare of his employees when building this village. And it's often held up as an example of great early modern philanthropists. Um, what we rarely talk about is that 10, 20 years later, in India, some of the great Indian uh, industrialists were doing exactly the same thing. But we don't know about this. You know, we've got Jamshedpur, Modi Nagar. I never knew about these, <laughs> these, these, these towns. So in terms of the narrative of modern philanthropy, innovative philanthropy being a Western, or at least an American, Anglo-Saxon activity, in this book we realize that actually it's just as Indian as it is uh, Western. Secondly, um, one of the things we discovered in this book is that in India there's a different... If you look at Europe, if you look at the West, philanthropy and CSR are very often very distinct activities. Um, in India, certainly in our experience, the separation between both is very blurred. Um, and I think probably if you speak to a European CEO, that would shock him. Saying so, you know, these are two different types of activities, um, and so they probably would disagree with this sort of approach to, to engaging in philanthropy and CSR in sort of a mixed way. But actually, sort of our work and sort of the interviews, and I think a lot of the examples we've heard here today, it might actually be a good thing that there's this intertwined, uh, these activities intertwine, because what we're seeing actually is then a much bigger commitment of business owners to philanthropy. And actually we're seeing business owners bringing the skills, 
the expertise, the dedication that made their businesses successful and transferring this to the philanthropy slash CSR activities that they are running. Either they are very linked and closely linked to the business or they might be separate, but we're still seeing the sort of transfer of skills from the business to the philanthropy, to the foundation, which results in foundations that are actually very innovative in terms of the activities they're running, but also in terms of how they manage their own staff, how, they're how they train uh, their grant managers, um, which possibly is somewhere where India is maybe a bit ahead of the curve compared to many foundations uh, in Europe and in the US. Secondly, um, I think this sort of intertwining of philanthropy and CSR um, I think no, let me change that I think the second and final point I think that came out of this for us, again linked to the role of businessman um, is how industrialists perceive the role of their business in society which I think goes beyond just doing business and I think the four panellists here today have sort of really very well illustrated that um, something again which we don't see so much of in Europe, certainly where I come from. And so for me, working on this book has certainly been a revelation. And I think one of our objectives is to showcase what is happening in India in terms of philanthropy and how business leaders are bringing innovation to philanthropy and take it, make it known in India, because I think it's not always well known in India. But I think more importantly, take it outside of India, beyond India, and for people to start looking at India as a country where maybe there's a source of inspiration in terms of how you can do philanthropy or how you can take innovative ideas that are working in India and transpose them maybe in your business in the US, in Europe or Asia. I think that's about it for me. Thank you, Matthew. And, and I think the important point about what you're saying and examples we have here is that it's, uh, it's important to take this message and make this message more widespread, but also it's important for Indian corporations themselves not to lose that model in, in the globalization and adopting Western models because there's something very innovative and unique about the way the Indian model works. And that's what, when Shankar mentioned, that the process is not the most important thing, but the ethics of it is important. That core concept, I hope, will stay with the Indian innovative model. I'm going to open for a few questions. I'll take three questions. Please introduce yourself and also comments or questions. If you have a question, then please say if you would like any one member to answer that, or otherwise we leave it to the panel to decide. <coughs> okay, so we've got... Wait, you're not going to get the question, <laughs> but well, maybe you are. So first you can go and you can wait. Indeed. Well... Thank you very much indeed. Najmar Hassan. I'm the UK president of GoPio, the global organization for people of Indian origin. Well, uh, thank you for excellent examples of the work uh, companies are doing in India. Uh, my question is that uh, are there good examples of practice where some of the great foundations in India has? How have they worked with each other? Uh, two complement the work different organizations do to solve the great 
problems ahead. So, for example, we hear that uh, Infosys have done a great job of uh, installing 10,000 sanitation systems. Uh, if different foundations would work with each other and map out the needs uh, for India the country, I would like to believe that in the next 20 years, we could possibly solve the sanitation problem in India or the employability, or girls' education. So for the size of the country, the experience and the infrastructure problems we have, uh, uh, how could these foundations cooperate, support, work with each other uh, in a very strategic way to solve the issues ahead? So any examples of that, uh, working with each other? Thank you. Uh, Kumar Nair, I'm an investment banker for Mumbai. You want to take it one by one? Um, we could. Yeah. Uh, would you like any I think uh, one of the things which I would like to highlight is that uh, uh, what we lack in many, many efforts which we do, sometimes we find we don't have the right kind of skills, we don't have the right kind of delivery mechanisms to do. So certainly most, most uh, NGOs or most foundationally, when they want to start an activity, scout around who is best able to deliver it. It's not that we have to deliver. Some things we would deliver directly. So let me give a few examples of this. Uh, when uh, we wanted to work on biodiversity, and uh, one of the feedback we were getting from the local fishermen was that uh, the whale shark was getting caught in their nets. And uh, they and these were pregnant whale shark. Whale shark is a gentle giant. It's the biggest fish. And uh, it's sort of, uh, it's, it's like a whale. It's not a mammoth, but it's a fish. And they would uh, basically give birth to the young ones on the shores of Gujarat. And the Gujarat fishermen were telling us that uh, we've got a problem, but nobody, uh, you know, we don't know how to deal with this issue. So we then went around and we learned that uh, there were two NGOs in India. We chose one of them called WTI, Wildlife Trust of India, who has the, who had the best, let's say, network to get this thing done. We've been working for four years educating fishermen. We've changed the policy in the government. Government now compensates the fishermen for cutting their nets. So the fishermen can go out and buy a new net and releasing these whale shark and also rewarding them for every whale shark released. And we've seen uh, the nesting of the young ones increase dramatically. We now have gone to the second phase. We're working with Australian University in terms of uh, uh, tracking the patterns these whale shark do in the uh, Arabian Sea just to know uh, where do they actually uh, spend most of their time to sort of create an enclave for them in that space so that it's protected. Uh, that's one example. So uh, biodiversity is one key issue which we don't give that much of an importance in business, but we think we ought to. And the second is even the foundations we work, we also don't work in all areas. We know what our basic expertise is going to be. So if you came to our foundation, I run an NGO, two NGOs we run. One is the Tata Chemical Society for Rural Development. Our biggest expertise is in water management and that to rural water management. We've done tremendous work in Gujarat with uh, respect to uh, recharging of uh, wells, with respect to uh, small uh, rain harvesting structures. And uh, in one of the most arid areas, we've seen six meters increase in groundwater level, where farmers could not even get one crop. Now they get three crops. Uh, so farm incomes have increased, and this is a consistent work we've done. So we, we then work with other NGOs to say, we've got expertise here. We're willing to sort of... Uh, our people can work and train your people and we'll get out. You, you carry on the work in other space. So, uh, and uh, 
we've extended this work in Rajasthan, we extend this work in Maharashtra now, so we sort of work with, uh, and we also don't want to sort of sp expend too much energy in too many areas. So we've decided as part of our strategy that we will build the best of skills in this area, whether it be farm uh, water management, whether it be rural water management, drinking water management, and be a center of knowledge for everybody else. So we've got many, many examples, and uh, clearly this is a need for the hour when you've got an issue that uh, uh, the country's needs are far, far outweighing what each person can do, we can collectively do a lot more. Uh, the only thing I would say is that there is no platform where you can easily find who's got the what expertise. It is almost like you need to hunt and search and figure out, And uh, but that's the way the uh, learning processes, that's where the knowledge processes, maybe we need to create those platforms through IT, through the systems which can sort of let people know where the expertise lies, where the knowledge lies, where the resources lie. One of the things also let me highlight that uh, when we were working in the rural area, we know that uh, Government of India has tremendous amount of programs to sort of reach out to farmers to improve their farm income. At district level, we don't even have a catalog of how many programs exist. And when you meet the ministers, they would come and say, the expenditure, what we have planned and what we are finally able to disburse, it's hardly 30%, which means 70% is not even disbursed because not, they're not enough takers. They're not enough takers because people don't know. So uh, th there is a bridge to be built, and uh, uh, I, I think uh, that's one of the efforts which we should do, how to build that bridge. I think we need to sort of think through and uh, work through. Thank you, Mukundan. That's actually shows what's happening and it's important. The fact that the awareness exists, international collaborations and national, both public and private sector, plus the NGO sector working together, it wasn't happening five years ago, but we've already heard examples of CII Foundation being set up and working, and we need more of that. So I think... I just wanted to add, I just wanted to add, uh, you know, to take up your question very specifically about, uh, it is a big problem in the sense that, you know, you have a lot of very good work being done by many different NGOs, but it isn't very coordinated. And one of the things in India which we lack is firstly data, you know, in terms of studies. And it's interesting, but um, both my brother and I are quite involved and actively involved with Stanford University. And we have an annual conference on India, which they do every year. And we're amazed at how much high-quality research, it's not just Stanford, it's, they get people from all over to participate. This amazing amount of high-quality research going on on India outside. And, and uh, um, it's, if, if we could tap into that, uh, it would identify a lot of areas in terms of where the needs are and in terms of what needs to be done and channel some of this uh, uh, work which is being done by NGOs. But I think one of the things which we're doing in CII, and I think the CII has a role here, and it's already playing a role, probably we can do even more in this. And that is actually to channel, channelize some of the efforts from the NGOs. When there's a specific area identified, it could be sanitation, it could be clean water, it could be you know anything in, in that area, uh, it could be something where through CII we can actually then get a few NGOs to put them together, work together, get a few companies to support that, you know, provide the management skills and the organization uh, and to some extent even funding for it. 
uh, and then we can make things happen. It's beginning to happen, and I think we can do even more. I just want to add, and I, I don't want to replicate what, uh, duplicate what my panelists have said. See, ultimately, you know, what we do through philanthropy uh, is pilots and experiments, and what succeeds and what does not succeed. Ultimately, to bring about massive change in a country like India, we have to make government work. Mm -hmm. right? right? And so our role is to um, you know, make these pilots work, show that um, you know, either through use of technology, management expertise, <coughs> etc., and involvement of people, that these things can be solved and empower the people. Um, but we are also working um, as um, business leaders, as um, industry organization, to make sure that the government functions properly. Ultimately, our goal also has to be that the government must function properly. That's the only way we can solve the problems of a country like India. Thank you. Um, I think your question. What is uh, also happening is business. This is a common not a question. I have increasingly finding CSR philanthropy is also a good business strategy. But you know, I had a, a privilege of being Harvard during the time before and after the 2008. And before that time, it was all about what is your product, how do you deliver. You know, it's all about that. And just immediately after that, you know, in the strategy session, what came out was for businesses to thrive and grow. How do you make it socially relevant? So instead of making CSR or any philanthropy as, a, as an adage or as an end, this thing, how do you make your very business very socially relevant? And the first comment of Jamshedji, uh, which Farad just you know, had uh, talked about, is exactly that. It's about businesses being for the very society that it is and not for, uh, for uh, not as a stakeholder. I want to add a comment here. You know, we've had this uh, debate in our board many, many times, and it's just a very difficult debate to have. So, uh, but I think at some point you've got to say we need to put a cap on this. We can't just. Uh, so we have this issue that 40 villages surround our operations. Last 30 years, work has happened there. They've transformed. Uh, you can keep going and doing more and more work. But then uh, it sort of, as you travel beyond that 40, it starts to diminish. You go and meet my manager who's sitting there in the site. He comes and says, if it's in this 40 village, I'm very keen to do. You want to do something 100 kilometers away, I'm not keen. We've actually taken a conscious call. Even if it is not going to impact us, we will go 100 kilometers away. Because we can't have a disparity. So I think you've got to move beyond saying that you intertwine it. Sometimes you've got to say, I've got to figure out a hook by which I can still bring and connect to people who are not connected with me. And connection may come 100, 200 years later. It may be just money down the road. It may be resources being thrown. But you've got to take that position. And I think that's, that's a bit of a difficult edge to cross. And uh, many, many companies would reach that, especially if you've been working for a long, long time. The second issue, which I just wanted to also add a comment, was that there is an increasing reality with the government that it lacks their delivery mechanism because government systems, by their very nature, because they're bureaucratic, are not flexible, are not adaptable. 
and the need for um, various multiple adaptation. In India, you move from one district to another, you need to adapt differently, which is why uh, the emphasis in government as well as within private sector, which goes back to what you raised, is of partnership. I think it is without partnership, you really cannot adapt and deliver to the specific needs. So there's an increasing realization which is uh, that uh, one-size-fits-all policies don't work. You need to sort of tweak them and also deliver them better. And there's another, um, I think the model exists, but uh, Shivnader uses a phrase, spirals of in inspiration. This is about people who have been enabled, then turning into doing some of their own contribution to society. And this is happening through students. And similarly, I would think the villages that you've already influenced then turn into trying to spread that as well. And these are other models through which some of these things can be approved. We had Philip wanting a question. Okay. Yes, uh, my name is Morning uh, Philip de Suisse as well, not UBS, but I'm <laughs> UBS customer. <laughs> I work in industry 35 years and this is like DBB and machinery companies. Retired five years ago and started uh, on request of some friends and foundation to help uh, first handicapped children, then uh, Adivasi children now in uh, Karnataka, near, in the area of Mysore. And uh, I am going to have the same questions I asked in Zurich, where I attended a similar presentation. Thank you for the invitation, Ruth and uh, Mathieu. Uh, I see good work according to quality standards and ethical standards being done by NGOs. We have uh, we work with an NGO in India, and and then you, uh, ladies and gentlemen, doing uh, what you're doing and. Uh, how can we better network, interconnect, so we can uh, share the experience of give my business card, but share information about what we're doing, help each other to do to do better? Because it's a it's a lonely fight to do it alone. We help now 250 to so 500 children, but we would certainly like to interconnect and network uh, better. Thanks for whatever support. We know one of the things we've been doing, and we've done it on a relatively small scale in the city of Pune, we have got NGOs. Because, you know, one of the things NGOs, they do very good work, but often they lack management skills in different areas. So we've been doing this every year. We run a program for a two-day thing where we get some NGOs together where they can share so that they can share knowledge. And also we pick a theme. So, you know, one time it might be how to raise finance, how to, how to get raise funding, how to make a proposal, you know, to, to attract funding. Um, and you get then a, a resource in to provide that input. I'm just wondering, maybe there's some possibility through CII where we can actually widen this and actually create a platform where we could bring in NGOs nationally as well and it's a possible thing to do. It's not that difficult to do. Farad, actually, Rati runs a program, so, which she did last year yeah, in Ahmedabad, yeah. where she got yes, yes. uh, Rati Forbes. Yes, so yeah, I think yeah. she just wanted to remind them that <laughs> she runs a program. And she, because last year, we did participate in that. When she gets mm -hmm. NGOs together to sort of at least network and sort of learn from each other. But I, the scale is... Uh, the scale, scale, scale is... Scale is... Scale is... Scale is... Scale is... Scale is... Yeah, so the, which means there's lots more to be done, lots and more. and there is lots of resources which needs to be consolidated and I think there was a hand from this side. Yes, please. I have a couple of uh, things I'm interested in. Um, 
and this is what uh, I am concerned about personally. Um, you know, if we follow um, the 20th century model of development, which created an enormous amount of wealth, uh, which is driven by, of, you know, uh, academic institutions like LSE, um, you know, uh, the purpose of organization, you know, uh, shareholder uh, value, shareholder you know, value maximization, profit, etc., and how do you evaluate organizations? Then, actually, I believe India will also uh, see less and less of this activity. The pressure on corporations and pressure on business leaders today is huge. Uh, in fact, if you are a private corporation, if you are a family-run corporation, the pressure is less. The more and more professionally run and more and more um, public corporations are created, the pressure will be huge to actually change. Mm -hmm. And so there is a role of, you know, organizations like LSE, academic institutions, to actually change the metrics that is that are used to measure businesses and to measure business leadership. If you don't do that, and do that quickly, um, I think we will see challenges in India also going forward and less and less number of organizations being able to engage into um, philanthropy, <coughs> corporate social responsibility, business with a larger purpose. Uh, I think we have to change this. You know, the the um, the culture and the, the philosophy in India actually supports this. But I am afraid that we will change. Right. And that's a very important very point important. you raised because now what what you mentioned about what was happening here in the 70s is what is currently happening in India, which means the government is introducing a lot of right-based programs. And so this is all going to then change the scenario there. So you have the right to food, you have the right to employment, and then what the government, government is trying to play a role, but it still does not have the cap capacity or resources for implementation. So it is bringing in the law. And this is where the private sector working with the public sector will, I think, the opportunity for philanthropy and the private sector to act, to show examples and be engaged with these uh, implementation or scaling up the nature of the implementation because the problems in India is not that there is no written law of these things. You name it, there is a law. But the problem India has is in making them happen the right way to implement them in such a way that actually it meets the needs, it makes the difference. And that's the same even with the Narega program or any mm. program that's being implemented. So this is where I think the role for the private sector, the role for philanthropy, it's only going to increase in the next 20 years at least. And then what happens, we have to wait and see. And what's happening is the government is also then now taking a model of increasing the taxation and making corporates pay taxes. So what is that going to do to the behavior of the companies? I would like to hear something from the panel about these things. But I think Chris's point uh, of the starting in terms of what the expectations are of corporations. You know, it, I think it's very important from the educational point of view, and I think it is the LSEs and the Harvard Business Schools and the Stanfords and all, which are turning out, you know, graduates 
who eventually will become those investment bankers and analysts <laughs> and you know people like that to also you know maybe change their perception of what uh, is considered to be um, uh, good performance. In, That's why we are sending as, the LSE students as interns you know? to talk social enterprise <laughs> projects. Yeah. But, but, but so. I just want to say this, I think, uh, it, you know, I've long debated, I've read a lot of books on what, what is a company value, how does it create. I, I think, firstly, uh, I, I go with this fundamental point, your first and foremost duty as, as a management team is to ha run a, let's say, ethical, tidy business, but which is the best in the world. So you cannot escape that fact that you are there to run the business is the best. And in doing so, I think one of the things you will realize that you need to connect with the outside world much more widely and much more deeply, much more intimately. For you to, uh, today if you've got to make money, you're going to, you're going to make money on weak signals. Strong signals everybody picks up. If you can pick up a weak signal and act on it early on, how are you going to get a weak signal if you're not connected? Uh, and that weak signal, uh, ability to pick a weak signal and then amplify it, amplify the right signals and then sort of act early on is going to differentiate companies. And uh, uh, that, in my view, is a, is a fundamental task of... Uh, I, I keep telling analysts who come and see us uh, in, in the company that in Tata's we, we work for the shareholder who remains, not for the exiting shareholder. Exiting shareholder better go to some other company because we don't view business on quarter-on-quarter -quarter basis. That's a number we need to put because of there's a need for shareholders to know how the company is performing every quarter. But uh, what you need to look at is a trend over a longer period of time. And uh, I think also we have a duty within management uh, teams and companies and in CIA to communicate this. I just don't want to put it at the um, at the table of the. Institution. I think we also have to bring in our perspective as, you, as uh, in terms of uh, highlighting what things work and what things don't work. And uh, uh, maybe uh, we have to take the lead to say that we are not saying S to non-performance by looking at philanthropy and CSR. It is performance and connectedness. It's both together. So this either or debate has yeah, to finish to become an end debate. Thank you. I'm going to bring in Dwee to give any last comment or question. He's our co-editor on this book. Yeah, I think it's really nice to be able to hear this discussion. I think one of the things I particularly want to probe a little bit is, even though we sort of tried to get a diversity of opinions in the book, I don't think we succeeded as much as we would like. Because if you look at India, you know, most of the businesses are family businesses. A lot of them are medium-sized intervention, and you don't hear from them. You don't know what's going on in those businesses. And so it would be interesting to see, you know, why do you feel that case? Uh, is it, uh, you mentioned that, you know, there, you'd, you'd like to do more, but there are no opportunities, or is there something else? And the second question is more sort of going towards what Henry mentioned that is as these businesses, as you are professionalizing and growing beyond, let's say, your immediate community or your immediate, you know, city where um, family comes from, how do you sort of retain the balance between the traditional, you know, supporting that plant or that city and doing something that's obviously a much more national level? that becomes part of a national debate. But first thing is that I think we've 
quite firmly believe that we do this not to gain publicity, to get benefit. We believe that it's the right thing to do and let the work speak for itself. Okay, that's the first thing. But at the same time, we would be more than happy and we do it. Uh, we, and that's where CII again plays a very important role. It provides a forum to share and for us to also learn from others and to share our positive uh, experiences. So I think that's, that's essentially the mechanism which we use. So one does not use this for uh, publishing an annual report and saying, you know, this is all the good things that we are doing. You're, you're doing it because it's, you feel it's the right thing to do and you're making a contribution. You know? And then the second point was uh, in terms of how to spread it further and take it forward. Yes. And as younger generations sort of come into the family business, you know, they are not tied to the city, they're not tied to a particular Right. But they, you can still they can still have be exposed to the values. So if the values if the values are in place, the message can change, the stories change, the examples change. But those fundamental values if they're they're there, they'll find ways to actually, you know, uh, implement them in uh, different situations, you know. Anybody else? Um, you know, um, I think um, uh, most of uh, these businesses or uh, corporate houses would be doing it because they derive a sense of uh, achievement, satisfaction and a purpose. Um, some of these projects, I think, need uh, sort of a larger space. They need to be known. But some other things are just quiet because I think by design it's just doing what it's always done. It's not looked at as a separate arm and, and doing it. But going forward, uh, looking at partnerships as somebody else asked, looking at uh, funding to scale them up, our opportunities and, and, and a person like me uh, would like to explore and is exploring how to make it uh, into a format that can take partnership, grow to a larger space. Correct. But otherwise, it, it inherently stays in a, in, a, in a geography because its its arms and legs are in that space and the comfort of the history is there. I think that's what it is. But it will change, is my opinion. Thank you very much. And uh, just to add to what perhaps said, Mrs. Birla uses the phrase, living is giving, which we thought was a very beautiful phrase, and she mentions this in this book. So, but um, this is not the end of the conversation. We have coffee, and I hope that the discussion will continue. And we are recording this, and I'll, um, well, this, I think it is a very well-looked-at website, and people would be accessing this information from around the world, and that's our public duty um, as well as an educational institution. Thank you very much to the panel for this most interesting discussion. And